from the Ram Studio, connected by AT&T. Welcome to Between the Horns. I am Miles Simmons. This week, I am very happy to be joined by JB Long, voice of the Rams. And, you know, it's been a little while since uh, not only that you've been on the show, but since we've actually done a show. I mean, I think the, the Rams have played now two games, basically, and unfortunately, they have lost both. But we've gone to Detroit, we've gone to London, um, and you know now the Rams are three and four coming out of the bye. So we will get to all of that, and plus a little bit more. If you're watching this on the website right now, you can probably see my my baseball cap right here. It's because as we record this, it is 1:20 Pacific, and uh, the Indians are going to play in the World Series tonight. So that is sort of where my brain is. If you can imagine. You're running the risk of really <laughs> shortening the shelf life of this podcast <laughs> because if things don't go your way tonight, I feel like you're going to be very reticent to promote the Between the Horns podcast with your Cleveland Indians prediction right off the top. You know, well, I, I didn't predict anything. I just you're said, going I mean, to, though. I, yes, you're going probably. to. Uh, well, I, I think that they're going to win. I hope that they're going to win. You know, I don't I don't want all of the Cleveland memes to come back to, to haunt us. You know, like the Warriors blew a 3-1 lead in the finals, and now the Cavs, the, the Cavs, the Indians might actually do the same thing, which is sad. But in this scenario, right, uh, before we start talking about football like we're supposed to, the, the Cubs are actually the Warriors, right? Because the Cubs are have the bigger payroll, they've got all the talent, they won the most games. So the Cubs really are, are in this scenario the the Warriors, so they should be the ones that come back from a 3-1 deficit. You've only got a few more hours to cover, Miles, <laughs> so whatever you need to do to soothe yourself, to get yourself in the right mindset for first pitch is perfectly okay by me. All right, well, then let's just talk about football because it'll probably be better to distract myself. Um, so uh, the Rams, uh, as we said off the top, you know, they, they lost their last two games, and it really was sort of a tale of two different games, right? You, you have that Detroit game where defense can't really stop Matt Stafford. And then in the last game, the offense just can't really get the points on the board. They throw the interception. Mm -hmm. So, J JB, from your perspective, what has sort of gone wrong over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, it's tough to diagnose because there's such disparate problems and such disparate losses. Uh, I thought the defense did a nice job tuning up, and I think Eli Manning and the Giants were actually the perfect matchup for them to bounce back because the Giants were so one-dimensional. They have no running game whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and I thought the Rams did a nice job loading up, um, keeping all everything in front of them, tackling well, making sure that yards after catch were minimized. Um, OBJ did not get anything after catch. I think their longest gain was 25, 26 yeah, yards. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, from a defensive game plan execution standpoint, I thought that was the perfect recipe for getting back on track going into the bye week. Now on the other side of the football, Look, if there's a first half of the season conclusion to be drawn, it's that the Rams are much better protecting a lead and letting their defense do the work deep in the fourth quarter than they are trying to come from behind. It yes. just hasn't happened oh, for yeah. the, the offense in Case Keenum in that regard yet. Yeah, and, and I think that's probably going to be the case you know, no matter who's a quarterback, right? I mean, obviously, you know, there, there have been things, a lot has been said, okay, now after Case Keenum throws the four interceptions, well, why don't you just turn to Jared Goff? And I think... Um, head coach Jeff Fisher probably put this well when he said that the the interceptions are not all on Case Keenum, and I think there's something to that. I, I think particularly the the first and the last interceptions that Keenum threw. You know you, that first ball that goes right off of Tavon Austin's hands. That that's a ball that's got to be caught. And I said this before. I think Tavon Austin would say that as well. And then and that last interception. Well, if Brian Quick 
gets the check at the line, which you can see Keenum, you know, pointing to his helmet. He's making the check, and it looks like Brian Quick is looking right at him. If that check goes through, then the jump ball in the end zone, you know, you've got a 6-3 wide receiver. That's why you do that. Maybe the, he makes the catch, and maybe, you know, we have a totally different story here. So, yeah, the, the offense is not really built to come from behind, and if the turnovers don't happen, well, that's when the Rams have been winning. I just want to say one thing about the interceptions. I agree with the points that you and Coach Fisher have been making, that each interception needs to be looked at like every play in the National Football yes. League is looked at. And if there was a breakdown in protection and picking up a blitz uh, in a route that was run, obviously the quarterback gets the statistical blame and the blame of the fan base. It needs to be looked at more analytically than that. I will say over the course of a game, over the course of a season especially, I tend to think the interception total evens out in this regard since baseball is on our mind today. Okay. Ooh, I like it. For every screaming line drive that a diving shortstop takes away a hit, there tends to be a swinging bunt or a squibber or a Texas leaguer and the batting average tends to even out. Yes, I agree. While I agree that at least two, maybe three of the interceptions that Case threw against the Giants were not primarily his faults, there was at least one, if not two, other footballs he threw into jeopardy that could have been intercepted. You are absolutely right. That were not hauled in for interceptions that might balance out that equation. And there are plenty of other examples for every quarterback over the course of the season. Yeah, you're right. And, and I think, you know, when we talk about what has gone wrong at the quarterback position so far this season, it, it, it's almost exactly that. There are a lot of passes sometimes that you think, oh, no. The, this is going into trouble. This might be intercepted. And, and I agree with you. There were a couple of throws that Case Keen even pointed out after the game. He's like, you know, I, I want those throws back too. So it, it's not all on the quarterback, but I, I think you, you're, there's something to what you're saying when it evens out in the wash because – there are plays that have not been made, and again, Keenum has said that. It's not like it's a secret. And there are also plays that, you know, when you have the wide receiver, that those plays have not been made. I'm thinking specifically right now of Kenny Britt on the post route, and inexplicably, you can see it on film. He just kind of slows up, and the ball, it looks like it's overthrown once, you know, the TV copy comes back in. But on the All-22 film, you can see he really does slow up in that route. And then once the ball is in the air, it's like, uh-oh, oh my gosh. And then that that's a play that's got to be made by somebody who I think we have to consider a veteran wide receiver. Yeah, I'm just looking ahead to Carolina and, and trying to anticipate what, case and the entire offense are going to bring in terms of a revamped effort and let me start by saying I think a lot of us felt like this bye week was the best opportunity for Jared to get a starting nod yes. since it appears to have not happened we all need to admit that the likelihood of him getting a Rams designated start in the back half of the schedule has been diminished it's not Absolutely. non-existent but uh, I would also point out that he has been up he's been active every week since week two so he remains one snap away so even though we have not gotten the most detailed answer in terms of in what regard is Jared not ready to be a starting bona fide NFL quarterback they must think highly enough of him and his preparation and his ability to leave him at number two because every time you take the field on Sunday there's a chance that your backup quarterback is going to play yeah there, there is and let's, let's stick with this for a little bit because um, that was one of the things that got brought up last week during the bye week with Fisher and just the fact that Jared Goff was taking the, the primary person taking the quarterback reps at that one practice that they had. And, and I kind of went on a Twitter rant about this uh, Tuesday 
and there was only so much you can glean from watching practice, right? Like you don't know exactly what the assignments are. You don't know what his primary read on the play is supposed to be. But I thought he had a pretty solid day, you know, just as a reporter who's watching this on the sidelines. I thought he had a solid day on Wednesday, and I thought that the ball looked like it was coming out of his hand a little bit more confidently than what we saw in training camp. But at the same time, um, Jared Goff, clearly, uh, I guess by the measures of whatever Jeff Fisher, Rob Boris, the whole offensive staff want to use, he's not ready yet. And until he is ready, I, I guess we're just not going to see him. And mm -hmm. that's the only kind of answer we can give to this question that keeps coming up. Like, oh, well, why aren't we seeing Jared Goff? And, you know, you can only say what the head coach has said and that he's just not ready. A couple things off of that. One is... I understand what you're saying about what conclusions can you draw from only watching practice reps. At the end of the day, players are different in practice than they are in the game. That and too. sometimes players who are not seemingly ready in practice perform well on Sundays and vice versa. Mm -hmm. There are also, you know, Monday through Saturday heroes in practice who, for whatever reason, when they have a full speed defense against them, uh, the light never comes on. Uh, so we don't know which one of those players Jared is going to be. It may be weeks or months before we find that out still. But I also think we've hit an interesting point in the season where, and I'm not contradicting Jeff here, but f ever since Jared has been drafted, the narrative has been when this young man is ready, the job is his. Yes. Now we're coming off of the bye week. The Rams are three and four based on what's happened in the rest of the division. LA is still very much in the hunt for a playoff opportunity. Yeah. So I'm not sure that it really is Jared's decision to make. No, it's not anymore. Like even even if he snapped his fingers and performed brilliantly during the bye week, I still think at this stage of the year there's a feeling of might we have a better chance playing to our formula, sticking with a veteran quarterback, a known commodity, and taking our chances in the NFC West as it stands. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting point too because when you have Case Keenum, at least you know what you're going to get every week, right? You, The unknown of the rookie quarterback is a big deal, right? And, and no matter where you're drafted, and you know, people talk about a lot of different factors, um, and we can see you know, across the league, Dak Prescott's had success, Carson Wentz has had success, Cody Kessler actually has surprised me with his, I don't know, decent play for the 0-8 Browns right now. But uh, every situation is different, and I think right now, because of what the Rams have done and have gotten established offensively, it, it's, not, it's not like I'm saying, oh, well, Jared Goff should never get in there. I, I don't know when the right time to play Jared Goff would be, and I think, like you said, you know, this would have been maybe an ideal time because it's the bye week, because you have a little bit of extra time to prepare, but... When you're coming off that London trip, that kind of messes with the thing, the, the way the normal bye week would work, right? Mm -hmm. Like they only had, they had um, Tuesday, they came in, did a little bit of work, and then Wednesday was their only real practice, and then they were gone for the four consecutive days off, which is what you're entitled to during the bye week. So I, it's interesting. I don't know when we're going to see Jared Goff as a starter. I don't, I don't know that anybody really knows that. Um, and I don't think it's all up to Jared at this point either, even though that's sort of what it sounded like, you know, at the beginning of it. And I don't know that it's always been a competition either between Jared Goff and Case Keenum. I, 
I, we don't we're not in Jeff Fisher's head, right? right? So we don't know exactly the metric that he's using or the criteria he's using in order to make this quarterback decision. And I guess as reporters, that's kind of what makes it tough because the, we don't we don't actually know what the answer is. Let me take two other things at face value. One is uh, fan generated or observer generated, and that is the offensive line is underperforming. And the other is actually a quote from Jeff Fisher where he said, I'll make a change at receiver before I make a change at quarterback. Yeah, he did say that. So the implication there from different parties is that other units on the team are not playing up to their potential. Mm -hmm. Would you put a rookie quarterback who has never seen a down in the NFL behind an imperfect offensive line at this stage of the season? Would you put an inexperienced quarterback who has never thrown an NFL completion to a Kenny Britt or a Tavon Austin into a receiver core that is perhaps in flux at this standpoint. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the dynamics that I think play into Case Keenum's favor to the statement that he's the lowest rated starting quarterback qualifying in the NFL. It couldn't get any worse. Let's take that with a <laughs> grain of salt. Yeah. Things in professional football can always get worse. It can definitely get worse. And Case is only you know two games removed from, I think, maybe his best career performance. Absolutely. And I'm not here to advocate for Case keeping his job or losing his job either way. That's not my job. But right. I will say, I think you have to take a look at all these things holistically. And if other groups are not where you had hoped that they would be, maybe putting a rookie quarterback next to those groups is not the recipe for success that you're looking for in the back nine of your schedule that we can talk about now, which has some very winnable opportunities and some very uh, promising reasons for optimism. Yeah, I agree with that. And like, we can talk a little bit too about just the fact that there has been improvement over season to season, right? And I think the biggest place that you can, can see that is in the third down rate that the Rams have, uh, they're 17th right now in completing their third downs, right? Converting their third down conversions. That's a far cry from where they were last year when they were number 32 of the 32 teams. They're dead last at 25.87%, right? So that's, that's almost 14% year over year increase. And I think that has something to do with the fact that Case Keenum has come in and he's stabilized mm -hmm. the quarterback position since he has uh, over the last four games of the 2015 season. Kenny Britt's on pace for a career year, the best year that a Rams receiver has had in more than a decade. Yep. Uh, last year, I don't think they had a 700-yard receiver. This uh, year, no. they could put together a 1,000-yard receiving yeah. season. Yeah. Um, you know, Lance continues to play good football. Th there are uh, passing touchdowns is another one. They're almost to last year's passing total. Mm -hmm. So, look, I know they're not beating the brakes off of anybody defensively, but there, if you want to talk about areas for offensive improvement and have there been signs that this offense might be capable of doing enough to ride the defense and the special teams to a playoff berth, maybe the top of the NFC West, it's it, not out of the question. It's not out of the question. And, and partially that's because of the way the schedule has set up, as you were just alluding to right now, JB. You know, this week, they've got the 2-5 and five Carolina Panthers. I don't know that Carolina has been playing like a two and five team. I, I mean, just looking at the way they played last week mm -hmm. against the Arizona Cardinals, they dominated that game. That score, the final score, I think, is thirty to twenty. It was thirty to seven at one point, and I think that is more reflective of the way Carolina played. So that's one. But you know, they're two and five, fine. But then you go and play the Jets. The Jets. I, I watched the, their game against Cleveland Browns on Sunday. The Jets are not playing very well as a football team. They're just not. And then you come back, you play Miami, and then you go to New Orleans. And so that's your November, right? These are all sort of setting up to be winnable games. And I think, you know, we can always say any given Sunday, right, every game is winnable. But 
this right now is a favorable part of the schedule if the Rams are going to make a run. If there's a soft underbelly to any segment of any NFL schedule, this figures to be it. And it has been way too long since the Rams played at the Coliseum. I, I have not been able to officially verify this, but I'm quite confident in saying other than the Katrina Saints, never has an NFL team played just two true home games before week nine of a regular season schedule. Yeah, that is kind of bizarre, isn't um, it? And granted, because one of those home games was transplanted to London, I get it. But right. uh, let's see how it breaks here. But I think this Carolina one is key because if you look at things in groups of four, right, this next four uh, opponent, this, this stretch of four opponents here, all losing records combined. They have a losing record. Um, it's home favorable. But if you don't beat Carolina, then you kind of trade out the Panthers for a road trip to New Orleans in yeah. that next group of four. And then suddenly it becomes now you're writing a four game losing streak. And now three of your next four are on the road, right. regardless of what the records of those teams are. That's just it's an interesting juxtaposition that you trade uh, last year's Super Bowl participant for a Super Bowl favorite mm-hmm. on the back end in New Orleans if this doesn't go your way on Sunday. Yeah, and you know what? The the other part of this is that the Rams right now are, are three and four, and they're starting to get into a position where it's almost a little bit too familiar. And you know, I, I talked to Robert Quinn about this after the game because Robert Quinn, obviously, he's been around for a long time, drafted in 2011, so he's been here for the entire time of, of Jeff Fisher's tenure. And what at least the last couple of years it has been is, okay, how are we going to be different? I remember talking to linebacker James Laurinaitis about this when the Rams were 4-3 and three last year. How are the, how do we and when the Rams players are saying how do we prove that this year is going to be different? Unfortunately, last year that was when they then went on the five game losing streak. So again, it, it's about this year. How is this team going to be different? How are they going to prove that they really can be not just playoff contenders, but you know maybe make make a splash and and do something with the opportunity that they've been given. I'm not sure it's completely related to the point you're making, but the thing that comes to my mind is the reason this week and this back half of the schedule could be different is if the Rams continue to be healthier than their opponents. And I think the bye week and what it was able to do for Quinn, for Brockers, Mm -hmm. for True, we'll see on Sunday. But I agree with you in terms of watching Carolina. Boy, they looked a lot more like the 15-win team from a season ago than the team that struggled to a a four-game losing streak. But I also look at their injury report and whether it's, you know, Ryan Khalil at center or Shaq Thompson at linebacker. I continue to see injury reports week after week that seem to favor the Rams in terms of the players they're being able to put on the field. And in the NFL, I really think that's the best thing you can hope for is the more frontline players that you have available on the more Sundays, the better chance. Because everything is decided by a field goal or a possession or an interception anyway. So if the Rams are at a point now where, uh, look, we saw what a difference Quinn made even in limited snaps Mm -hmm. in terms of pressure on quarterbacks, creating turnovers. I agree. Um, the the defensive secondary now I think has not only depth but experience in the reps that the corners especially have gained in Tremaine's absence. You layer him back in now. I really like uh, what they're equipped with going into a stretch where they're going to see quarterbacks like Cam Newton, um, like Drew Brees, uh, like Tom Brady. Yeah. I mean Matt Ryan. The list goes on and on it from does. here on out. Yeah. So I think 
look, no one wanted to lose True for any amount of time, but if the silver lining is Troy Hill is more prepared to play in a, in a spot situation mm-hmm. or EJ Gaines is now confident that he's put those injuries behind him and he's full go, so much the better. Yeah, and that's one of these interesting things that, that we've been able to see here. I mean, we all know that Cody Sensabaugh um, had his struggles and that's why the Rams moved on from him. And Troy Hill, I thought, played well, decently well earlier on in the season. Um, particularly when he came in against Seattle in that sort of spot situation mm-hmm. there. And then I thought the the week-to-week improvement that he made from Detroit to the Giants game uh, over there in London, I, I thought was pretty, pretty impressive just because of the way the Rams did not elect to have EJ Gaines shadow Odell Beckham Jr., right. but it didn't matter. I mean, it didn't matter that, you know, you had Victor Cruz and Sterling Shepard out there as well. Both of those guys, I think, are really, really talented and you still were able to, you know, have EJ Gaines one side, Troy Hill on the other, and there were not those sort of real explosive plays that the Giants are known for with their passing game. So I think that's exactly what you're talking about with that experience, and now you have a little bit more depth built up. I think that can only help the Rams going forward. The thing that catches my attention this week is, oh, well, of course it's Cam Newton. Right. Yeah. But it's his, it's his ability to be a running quarterback especially in key situations, angle situations, third down situations. I don't think the Rams, correct me if I'm wrong, have seen a truly mobile run threat quarterback since Blaine Gabbert week one. And, yeah. and, and you know, Blaine Gabbert, uh, he's no Cam Newton. No, he's not. Um, and Russell, <laughs> Russell Wilson was not even close to being Russell Wilson. So and he hasn't been all he, season. He might as yeah. well have been Eli Manning for that particular game mm-hmm. against the Rams. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a, another unique challenge that the Rams have not seen in a while. And, uh, I, I had to look it up. Cam is as tall or taller than every defensive player on the Rams roster except for Eugene Sims. Yeah, isn't that uh, crazy? And he weighs as much as Alec Ogletree. Right. So <sighs> it, it it takes a team to contain him from a running game standpoint. And then you have this uh, this. <laughs> I, I know you want to talk about this. I do too. How do you tackle him in a week where he has once again been very vocal oh, and yeah. has even gained the commissioner's ear about how he is not being protected? Right. Now, Cam, I will say, has been very good about delineating protection in the pocket versus acknowledging that he is a running quarterback Agreed. and expects the shots because he doesn't slide and yes. he takes on guys in the running game. But I never like being the team that faces someone who's asking for protection from officials and look, you know, we don't know what crew we're going to get. And, yeah. and it, it, it's not like a jury where you can incubate them and keep their, their earmuffs on. <laughs> They're going to hear it just like the rest of us are. And, and I fully appreciate their objectivity and they want to call everything right. Right. But when you're primed to see something, you see something. Of it's course. social psychology. It's human psychology. Yeah, no, I like the I like the jury analogy, how they're not like sequestered or anything yeah. like that. No, but I I totally agree that it, the, the you know, people asked, um, think Aaron Donald, Will Hayes, and, and Jeff Fisher about this after Tuesday's practice. And they each of them said, oh, I'm not concerned about this particular thing happening, right? So it's not, they, what they were saying is that they're not anticipating anything different because they say they know the rules. They're just going to go out and they're going to play the way they play. And I think if you are the Rams, that's all you can do, right? Because odds are, no matter what, there's going to be something that happens in the game and it might not even be what you think is a foul or by the letter of the law, what is actually a foul. 
and the, the officials are going to call it because that's just it's like you said it's social psychology it's the way humans brains work so they're going to be on the lookout for it and if you're on the rams i mean you just i, I don't know if it's a, you got to anticipate that thing or if you just say you know what forget it i just got to go and play the way i'm going to play and whatever happens happens Especially when you're the Rams, because you want to talk about psychology and what's going on right now. I mean, well, there, there seems to be something about this team that draws the attention of the striped jerseys out there because yeah. the penalties have not gone their way. So it, I hope DeMarco's back next week and you're talking about, man, what a clean game. There were no personal <laughs> fouls on Cam Newton. What was JB worried about? That was flawless. I really hope that's the conversation you're having. But on this side of Sunday, it does seem like a recipe for a potential game-changing 15-yard penalty, uh, and, yes. I, and I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah. And but look, to get back to what Cam was saying, though, I, did you think he had a point? Because on the I did. Campbell. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I do. And and this isn't the first instance where he's had. You know, uh, I forget. Was it hockey? League? Someone he had a run in with the official where he basically said like, "You don't have the kind of seniority to be yeah, asking." Yeah, I that, think it right? was hockey. League, yeah, um, which is weird. And, Come on, Ed, you're a lawyer. Be and, better than that. And look. Cam is an established quarterback in this league. He's the reigning MVP. Right. Like, he has done everything you need to do to get the protection of an Eli Manning or a Drew Brees or a Tom Brady. He's one of the league's brightest young stars, but he's also had the the resume now to warrant protection just like every other quarterback. So uh, because he runs, because he's a big target, I think teams know that their best chance of beating Cam Newton is to take legal shots and maybe fringe illegal shots against him and hope that that it breaks your way. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you have to be aggressive as a defense, and if the, the price associated with that is a personal foul somewhere along the way, I think a lot of defenses would, would roll the dice on that because if you have a Cam Newton who is, is not concerned about traffic at his feet mm -hmm. or about taking a, a shot high, Boy, that's uh, that's an MVP, Cam Newton. Absolutely, but yeah, and the just that hit though. I I when I saw it, I I think I might have been watching that game on Red Zone or whatever. But I saw it and I was like, that's not a penalty because when you see it, Calais Campbell and I don't think this has anything to do with intent. I'm not trying to call Calais Campbell dirty. Let me say that before I I go into this. But that hit to me by the letter of the law was a foul, right? You you think about in that playoff game, whenever it was. When I think Kimo von Olhoffen went good up pull to by you. Oh yeah, <laughs> went to Carson Palmer. I, I will never forget that hit because it was so it, it looked terrible. But that was you know when Blackwood Palmer was with uh, the Bengals and they're playing the Steelers in that playoff game. That's the kind of hit that Cam Newton suffered, right? You, you think about the hit Tom Brady had against whatever team that was. I think it was the Chiefs, right? It was that no eight. I, am I am I totally right on this? I, I, Just keep nodding your head and saying yes, JB. I, don't, I was trying to I was good. trying to think what was going on in 08. Like to me, that still feels like oh yeah, just a couple years ago, back in 08. I'm sorry, what? Almost it's, a decade ago. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah, I was really young back then. That wasn't even the worst call in that Arizona Carolina game, by the way. Speaking yeah. of Palmer, yeah, that little shuttle pass that yeah, he tried to force that? out that was returned as a quote unquote fumble for a touchdown. What was that? I don't know. And they went and reviewed that, and then I yeah. Every I, turnover, every scoring play, supposed to be reviewed in the NFL. Yeah. And that one doesn't get corrected I, on the opening offensive drive for yeah, Arizona. That's a huge play. And you know what's funny is that uh, Ron Rivera on the conference call today, he's, I, I asked him about uh, getting those eight sacks and what was key to doing that and keeping that pressure on Palmer. And he said, well, we started fast and we got off to an early lead. Right. And so once that happens, obviously defenses get to pin their ears back. And that's why you get eight sacks on Carson Palmer. Right. But that particular sack fumble 
maybe it should not have been a sack right. fumble. It should have just been a And sack. the two pieces of their secondary, I imagine, played a role in getting more pressure oh, on yeah. Carson Palmer as well. Yes. And a little bit better coverage in the passing game gives someone like Star Lotulale, who I've known as a standout ever since his days as Utah, a mm-hmm. chance to be NFC Defensive Player of the Week with three, right. three of those eight sacks, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yes, so. yes, yes. So he played really, really well, and I think that's going to be one of the concerns about uh, the Rams this week, just the way that their interior guys are playing. Anytime you have a, a, an interior player that gets three sacks, that's concern, right? And, and you know, they also had um, Leonard Johnson, who basically he, he had an Achilles injury in the offseason. It was the first game that he was back playing on Sunday against the Cardinals, and they blitzed him all the time. So that's also going to be a concern for the Rams coming off of the edge with your nickel corner. If he's getting, if he's coming in there and blitzing, and I noticed they were blitzing on first down, they were blitzing on second down, third down. It didn't matter. That is tough for any offense to deal with, especially if you're getting blitzed on first down. I don't know how you kind of evaluate running defenses too, but if the alternative is, well, maybe you can ground and pound against them. Carolina has one of the best running defenses in the league. I think it's just 3.3 yards per carry against. So uh, let's hope the Rams put this bye week to really good use because we haven't seen a total team effort, four quarter effort from this LA team yet. We know it's still out there. Every team in the NFL puts together a couple great weeks. And so I think that's one of the reasons for optimism for the Rams is, you know, offensive, defensive, special teams, they have not all clicked at once yet this season. Uh, maybe Sunday's that day. I think it might be. And you know what? If it does, then that's going to spell really good news. And if it does, then I think the other part of the offense that's going to get going is Todd Gurley because obviously, you know, he's not had the kind of season that I think a lot of people were expecting. And I think there are a lot of factors for that. It, it's not just the offensive line it's not just Todd Gurley it's not just the fact that teams are loading up the box in order to stop uh, the Rams running game because they respect it so much you've just got to be able to put it all together and you hope that this week is the week that that might happen from his standpoint I loved how vocal and descriptive he was in the postgame locker room in London. Oh, me too. Yeah. I thought there were real words of leadership there. And I, it, it, he wasn't saying, give me the damn ball, Mm -hmm. but it felt like he was going to come back after the bye week Like here's, here's what it is. Uh, that being said, I'm not sure that Carolina is the team that you want to try and break out against because, uh, what they have at linebacker with Keekly and Davis, what they have, uh, on the defensive front makes them really difficult to run the ball against. They had been susceptible to the deep pass. They were giving yeah. up 20-plus yard bombs week in and week out when they're on that losing streak. They shored that up last week. So uh, finding a way to stretch the secondary and create you know, second-level opportunities for Todd is a tall order. But, uh, again, that's, that's what the bye week is for. I, I guarantee you that that's the challenge that Rob Boris and company embrace. Yeah, and you know what? I, I think what he said after the game was really, really interesting. And I'm glad you brought that up as I sort of try to find it right now. No, take your time. I, I think it's worth it. revisiting because you know, Todd has been a man of few words. He's been pretty understated to this point since arriving in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I, as I have found it now, you know, somebody said to him, you know, what do you think has been leading to the inconsistencies on offense? And he just says, I think, man, everybody needs to, whether it's players or coaches, basically ask themselves, are you helping or are you hurting the team? It's as simple as that. You know, you can't have mental mistakes from everybody. You just have to play better. 
And then, you know, somebody asks the follow-up, well, do you feel like you're helping, you're hurting, a little bit of both? Then he says, you know, some games I'm hurting myself. Some games I feel like I'm doing as much as I can. And, and I don't think it's definitely not effort because everybody, we love this game and we want to win. But we just have to do the little things, the simple things. And then this is what I thought he, he said that was really, really interesting. He said, uh, we practice... Football is the only sport you have where you basically practice every day. Now you practice every day. You play one game a week and you practice every day. So when the game comes, it should be second nature. And I think what he's referring to there is sort of those mental mistakes that keep happening, those those killer penalties, these, these things that you cannot have happen. You have to have the game become second nature to you because you practice so much. And you know, Todd Gurley, he's a second-year player, right? He's very young. I think he's 22, 23 years old right now. So for him to have, I think, the maturity that he clearly has by stating these things, and he's not hes not pointing fingers. No. He's not, you know, discluding himself from everything that's going on. He's saying, you know, we need to look inward, and we need to be able to make sure that we are playing better as a group. And I thought that was very mature and really captain-like from somebody who is a second-year captain in the league. Unless that be construed as, well, he must be talking about that quarterback who just threw four interceptions and pointing a finger that direction. No, quite the contrary. Yeah. He repeated on multiple occasions, I love Case yeah. and, and, yeah, and has full confidence in Case. But those mental mistakes, even if it's a pre-snap penalty like a false start, that's something that takes away an opportunity from something like Todd Gurley. Yeah, because if you're in second and four and all of a sudden it's second and nine... That's that's a, a running situation that he doesn't get a chance to hit that hole and yeah. maybe your offensive line doesn't get some traction. So it all is cumulative. And I, I think you're right. He's got kind of like the 30,000 foot view of the whole thing. Yeah. And that's kind of that's interesting to me, like not just for somebody who's a second year player, but also somebody who's a running back, you know, because I we, we all talk about how, oh, you know, the running back position hasn't been devalued, all these different things. But Todd Gurley, because of his talent, but also because of his maturity, is a real leader on this team and on this offense in particular. And to me, the fact that he said that, I thought, spoke real volumes about the way he sees himself in this league and on this team. I thought it was really interesting. Uh, to my experience so far, that leadership hasn't necessarily been verbal. Yes. Not to this extent. Sure. Yeah. No. So, so I that agree. was a, this was a different step for him, which I was intrigued was. by. Yeah, and you know, having you know, dealing with Todd in, um, yeah, interview situations basically every week, right? Todd Gurley's got a media session every week. He's not always the most open open player, and then you know, you get tweets that's like, why does Todd always look so mad? Like, why does he? <laughs> why why doesn't he look like he's happy? Like, well, first of all, he's talking to the media, so like I. As much as I think, like, all right, you know, you are a professional athlete. It's kind of part of your job to, like, just give me five minutes of your time each week. Like, I under, I understand why a player would feel like this really does not help me win, right? Like, I, I get that. But there's a part to Todd Gurley that I don't think people necessarily see in public, and that is the, the, the locker room persona, the teammate persona of Todd Gurley. And I thought that came out in those comments so i thought that was good you nailed it where to next okay wow <laughs> i nailed it yay um well let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the trip that we took you know because we were in london for a really long time and you know we talked a lot of football there's only so much football you can hash and rehash mm -hmm. over over you know the bye week and they didn't even play last week so what was your favorite aspect of getting to go to london I don't know how many different steam rooms there were <laughs> at our 
at our resort. Uh, thank you to the Los Angeles Rams for allowing us access to it. <laughs> but I did use all of them that I was given access to. That was my favorite part. Uh, no, look, as much as I, I love my, my wife and baby, uh, I have not had much time to myself uh, in the last six months. So that was that was a week on the road uh, with just kind of a little, a little daddy alone time. And uh, I got to regroup and, and do my game prep and, and really enjoy life in a British countryside resort, which is a really unique experience. Uh, we did get into town, you probably more so than I, yeah. so I'll, I'll turn it back to you for your impressions oh, of, the, of the inner city, if you like. This spa, th was this like the best thing ever? I've never ever? seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like it. Honestly, okay, because Danny, uh, Danny Kloppinger, Rams reporter, who I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you know who she is, but she basically said the same exact thing mm -hmm. to me about how awesome this spa was, and I now feel like an idiot for not doing it, you know, like double confirmation, right? Like I'm a reporter. That's what I always need. Yep. So now that I have the second source, I feel stupid. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I, I almost feel like you're disqualified from even speaking about our London experience now <laughs> if, you do, if you don't have depth in the 25-meter marble encased pool what uh indoor hot tub indoor and outdoor hot tub like swim indoor out into the outdoor portion of the hot tub why didn't i um, know this there was a dry sauna there were there were steam rooms that were gender specific there were steam rooms that were mixed gender there were steam rooms of varying temperature a varying scent a varying aromatherapy uh so yeah, my routine was to <laughs> was to use use the spa at least once per day uh, while interspersing some football coverage. Gosh, well, if you know me, you you probably would understand uh, that I probably should have done that because people say I need to relax. Splurge on a massage as well, which was the best hour of my week. Yeah, that, you know what, Demarco said that to me yes. too. So yeah, uh, apparently I failed because <laughs> I did not do any of these nice things <laughs> when I was at the resort. When the international series strikes again, you'll be better prepared. This uh, time maybe but you you I saw from your well from going out with you but also yeah. from some of the pictures that you took that you had a great cultural experience in Greater London I thought so um you know we went to Stonehenge um if you've checked out the video on the rams.com you see Bradley Marquez uh, Johnny Hecker Chase Reynolds they were at Stonehenge well I was there too um, sort of working, but also, you know, for my own pleasure, because mm -hmm. that place was so cool. Like, honestly, it is one of the coolest places I have ever been in my life. And I think one of the things, you know, that we think over here uh, in, I mean, in the U.S. about Stonehenge is that, like, was well, just a bunch of rocks. Like, why are all these rocks in this? Like, there's just a bunch of random rocks and like somebody put them there and it's aliens and we don't know what it is. But, you know, when you go there, you learn that. It's actually a monument, and it's very meaningful. It probably was very meaningful for the indigenous peoples who lived there, you know, 2,500 to 3,000 B.C., right? Like, that's when this thing was constructed, and they had roads that went to uh, the river, and that's how they probably got the stones from the river up there to the monument. And now you, you see this monument, and it's been there for, you know, 4,000-ish years, right? 4,000, 4,500, 5,000 years almost. And it's still there. And you can still see how the grooves of certain rocks were um, were placed so that the things would stay there. And they just, they don't mess with it. They don't, they don't let you get any very close to it. And it just is there and it's really cool. And I don't know that I really did a very good description of like how cool it is. Well, I'm, just, I'm just saying it's really I'm confused because cool. I feel like you just talked about 
Stonehenge for three minutes and didn't mention any alien influence. Because there was no alien influence. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's an alien monument. Well, that's what people like to think, you stupid American. No, I don't know. <laughs> um, but, like, it was funny because um, what they said was that it was kind of, uh, it, they probably, they what they think is that the people went to this monument to either celebrate the solstice or commemorate the solstice or things like that. And they would bring the remains of their like human family members, ostensibly, right? Who, who knows what they thought they were back then? Um, but they would bring those those family members, and they would like bury their ashes in like in and around the monument. And so, like that's where you have Stonehenge. You know, when the sun comes down and it comes right into the 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 in between the stones and things like that. It, it's very, very fascinating and very interesting, and I wish I could... It doesn't you know. change the fact that they still needed alien tractor beams <laughs> to drag the stones up from the river in the first place. Uh, how about the castle? The castle the castle was cool. I liked Windsor Castle. Uh, you and I went there together, and I thought that Windsor Castle was really interesting just because you have all of these different rooms where some like came, like royalty lived there. And like you know, this is a place that is older than our country. So that to me, whenever I, I go other places and, you know, you, you have these places where it's like, yeah, this was built in like 1200 AD or, you know, whenever it was like, you just so like, like mind blown. Like we didn't start until 1776. Like what? So yeah, I, I thought the Windsor Castle was cool too. And the, the stadium experience on Sunday was more than I expected. It really was really? from the moment we pulled up in the buses and there were just mobs of people. Oh yeah, waiting that way, to yeah. see the Giants and the Rams. Um, I thought the field was in great condition for football. It seemed. I don't think like uh, moisture or uh, slipping played a factor in the game. Not for the players. Uh, no. If you had an NFL jersey bingo card, that oh was 32 yeah. teams deep. You could have punched that thing out before kickoff. No question. Every jersey imaginable was accounted for yeah. in that stadium on Sunday. It's very interesting. Including you know. a Maurice Jones-Drew special. Did you really see Maurice Jones-Drew? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> did like did, Mo did Mojo also see it? Did he take a picture with the Nate fan? Nate Bain actually took a picture of it and texted it to me right before kickoff. Oh, so I got to great. show it to Maurice. Oh, that's yeah, funny. Yeah, once we were in our broadcast position. Yeah. I mean, the, the only thing, and this is, this is a real first world problem and like vintage reporters only complain about things. But I was really cold because we were outside. And I fortunately had bought a beanie and I bought some gloves, but I was really cold. And like, I didn't get the glove. I thought I had, but I didn't get the gloves with like the touch sensors on your, you know, on your fingers. So I'm like trying to mess with my laptop and I have to keep taking my glove off in order to, you know, send a tweet <laughs> and like, I don't know, type up what I'm doing and like post the article, find a picture, all these things I do on game day. And it was it was a little bit inconvenient, but I can just feel the audience empathizing with you. Right I know now. I, I, people are probably flipping me off in their cars and I probably deserve it. But yeah, that was if there was one thing that I would have liked, it would it would have been a little heater next to me, a little personal heater that I could warm up with a little bit more. I don't know. <laughs> all things considered, it wasn't raining. <laughs> Yes, that escaped, was one of the great things that. about the week. Yeah, despite, you know, maybe you didn't go outside very much since you were always in the spa, but it didn't really rain when we were there. One practice that yeah, I recall. Yeah, just, yeah. A, just a brief shower in practice, yeah. but all in all, a, a great experience. Obviously, it'd feel much better to be four and three rather than three and four. Uh, but, uh, you know, speaking for ourselves as peripheral staff, 
and traveling with the Rams, great experience. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. And it was it, it was really nice to just go to London and be able to see all the things that we saw. I mean, like getting I I'd been to London once before um, when I was like ten or eleven or something like that. And you know, you do all these different things. You see the Eye, you see Big Ben, you go to Buckingham Palace and all that, but. Um, I think my, my impression when I was in Piccadilly Circus was like, wow, this is like a mix between I don't know, Times Square and San Francisco. And it just, even though you're in a foreign country, in a lot of ways it feels very familiar because it's just a big city and, you know, with different money and people with different accents. But I, I really enjoyed it. Do you want to go back to my uh, unofficial little Twitter poll about London and having teams there? Yes. I, I think it would take two. Um, I agree you, with you that. You build a stadium for two teams. Uh, so that you always have a home game in that stadium and therefore a 9.30 a.m. Eastern, 6.30 a.m. Pacific kickoff. Yes. Would you, as a fan, wake up to watch that additional, what would that make it, a, a fourth window? Would you add that into your NFL Sunday viewing experience, more like the college football Saturday sure. where you have the noon Eastern kickoff? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I See, uh, being on the West Coast, it's tough. Right, because this is the, and usually I probably wouldn't be able to watch it anyway. But at least on this week, um, you know, with the bye week, I was able to get up at probably six. I woke up probably around six forty-five and started watching the Bengals in Washington. And I don't know that I would really want to do that every week on a Sunday. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's hard. At least for me, as a as a fan of the league and as a fan of the game, I like to watch as much NFL as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. But being on the West Coast, like. Fans, obviously, I, I, you know, have a lot of appreciation for fans anyway, but those who got up at 6.30 a.m. to watch that Rams game against the Giants, like, props to you, because that's not easy to do always on, on Saturday, on Sunday mornings. Yeah, the thing about the NFL in London to me is, you know, going to a Play 60 event with some local British children, yeah. I was reminded of the fact that the game is so foreign to them from just a, a flag football backyard scrimmage tackle concept, it's tough to make a sport stick when your audience doesn't play it informally. I think yes. that's a large part of, I wish I could attribute this point to someone else who, who raised it to me, the explosion of soccer in the United States mm -hmm. in our current generation is, well, you and I and so many in our generation grew up playing AYSO soccer, right? So yeah. even if we didn't become soccer stars or soccer players or even soccer fans, at least more of us were exposed to soccer and know the rules of soccer and yeah. get it. Um, it would be tough, to, I think, to break into that audience, that market, that fan base when <laughs> what's a yeah. line of scrimmage? Right. Like yeah. Yeah. one Mississippi, two Mississippi. What? Like yeah. you know, like <laughs> like those the, the, just kind of that childhood experience is not built in. There's no right. let's to get together with with friends and throw the football around. Right. And you know that that comes through even when you know they're playing the game and on the scoreboard of the Jumbotron, like after a penalty or whatever, they put up what the penalty is and then they explain it. And that basically is Well, I still benefit from that. So <laughs> I, I would like to see the Coliseum Institute <laughs> you gotta, that. You got to get in the rule book, JB. You need to know all these rules. But it's funny you brought up What, soccer. like you know what a catch is? Come on, no, seriously, Miles. <laughs> Who does? But you brought up soccer and we got to go to the Arsenal game too. I almost forgot. Like that was a really cool experience Special. too. Yeah. yeah. Just because I like, okay, you, you said like we grew up playing. So I did not grow up like with the soccer stuff. Like I'm I'm not a soccer. No orange too. slices and Capri Suns on Miles Saturday morning for T-ball. All right, not but not for soccer. Um, but I there's some I get some enjoyment out of it. Like when I'm watching the U.S. play, 
I, I'll watch the U.S. play anything. Sure. Like, we can beat another country in tiddlywinks, and I will be super stoked about it. But going to see that particular game, I had a really good time just because it, it was it was an experience to watch these fans have their chance, have their cheers for basically every little moment in the game. And, and the, I think Arsenal scored, what, five, six goals? Six goal, and yeah. beat the breaks off whatever team they were playing. So that was really cool to see. I think I would add to the, the patriotism aspect, like I'll watch anything that America is participating in. I'd also watch anything that's being performed at its highest level. Yes. Right? Like yeah. it's so distinguishable when you're watching, you know, whether you've watched your kid chase it around four corners of a park for a, a Saturday <laughs> morning or whether you play rec league soccer. When you see something in person, I've always said this is why uh, hockey is so appealing in person too. Mm -hmm. When you see like playoff NHL hockey in person, man, there's nothing like that. Yeah. Like it just jumps off the page at you like what I'm seeing right now no one in the world does better. Yeah. That to me as a spectator sport always works. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. Uh, JB, thank you so much for joining me this week. Always appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, sorry for anyone who's disappointed. DeMarco's not here. <laughs> I, I, I'm a very Jeez. inadequate fill-in for DFAR in, in many respects, uh, but I love him just as much as you do, so thanks for having me back. No, my pleasure. I'm glad that you were able to, to stop in and, and help me out with this thing. And, you know, fans... Always appreciate any positive, negative feedback that you might want to pass along uh, about the show. Definitely thanks for tuning in. Thanks for finding us wherever you found us, either on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you download your podcast. Be sure to stay tuned to therams.com as we've got coverage leading up to this game against Carolina. We will see you for Between the Horns next Wednesday. Ram it.